Jesus. Glory to our triune God. Dear Bethesda Church, let's, uh, in reverence to the Lord, open the scriptures at uh, the prophetic book of Haggai. And we'll read in chapter 1, the first 13 verses. Haggai chapter 1. I will read from English Standard Version. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never had enough. You drink, but you never had your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, which each of you, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have, with, above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a draw on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God has sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you declares the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Before I'm going to jump into the word of God and preach the message that the Lord has laid on my heart, I would like to bring to you greetings from the church, uh, Bethel Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where by God's grace, I uh, served, I ministered, on Friday night to the, to the youth, on Saturday to the couples, and all day Sunday morning and evening. And I had some support. I had Debbie and, and Jenny. Uh, I felt uh, anchored that somebody's praying for sure. Thank you, ladies. Um, this morning, it is a passage that uh, comes from the minor prophet Haggai, and uh, very few churches actually preach and uh, do Bible studies, you know, systematically from the minor prophets, such as Obadiah, Habakkuk, Nahum, Nahum, Haggai, or Malachi. But I guarantee you that most churches that are building, 
a new sanctuary or have an addition that's uh, ongoing, <clears throat> they will definitely hear messages from Malachi chapter 3 or Haggai chapter 1. And this morning I pray that uh, the word of God will speak to us afresh. We are familiar with the word, we are familiar with the scripture, and, but I, I believe that even from these minor prophets, the word of God has something to bring to us afresh in 21st century Christianity. We, Americans, Romanian Americans, whatever you want to call yourselves, living in the richest nation in the world. Allow me to describe in uh, short uh, terms uh, the historical context in which uh, this uh, prophet Haggai was called by God to bring a message uh, to the people of Israel. Uh, God used, uh, as you know, used the empire of Babylon and more so the emperor or the king Nebuchadnezzar uh, to bring judgment as agents of judgment against his people, his nation, the elect people of Israel, uh, to, to punish them for their sins of idolatry and for their attitude, their rebellious hearts against God and his laws. So the Jewish people were taken, as Pastor Simi mentioned in his uh, sermon uh, in the first part of the service, they were taken to Babylon in three different phases. And in uh, between year 607 before Christ and 586 before Christ. The first time when uh, Jerusalem fell to Nebuchadnezzar was 607 before Christ. And that was just a small group of people, including some of the brightest young men of Israel, the highest uh, educated uh, that had a future. They probably even were from the nobles of Israel. Uh, were taken to uh, Babylon. Among them, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you remember those stories from Daniel chapters 1 through 6. And a few years later, and Nebuchadnezzar exacted some tribute against Israel and Judah. But a few years later, the king of Judah rebelled against uh, Nebuchadnezzar again. And uh, we see that in 597 from historical accounts that King Nebuchadnezzar laid siege again against uh, Jerusalem and he installed uh, the son of the king uh, Jehoiakim. Uh, he installed the king Jehoiakim. We find all this in 2 Kings chapter 24 and 25. Uh, we also find from uh, the scripture that uh, Nebuchadnezzar appointed for a third wave of coming against with a siege against Jerusalem against uh, King Zedekiah. And with each of these uh, takings of Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Judah was constantly damaged, destroyed its people. Her people were taken in slavery in the Babylonian captivity. In 586 before Christ, that's when Jerusalem was completely and utterly destroyed. The temple in Jerusalem was burnt all the way uh, to the ground. And 
it was nothing left, just the poorest of the poor left in Judah. But as prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 25, the, the word of God tells us that that punishment was to last about 70 years. 70 years and after that people of Israel, the Jewish people were allowed to return back to Judah after 70 years of exile. And that prophecy was by the way, those who love and are, uh, pro prophetic words of the Old Testament, it was fulfilled on the dot. 70 years from 607 to 537 BC, we coming, you know, the, you know, coming down with the years towards year zero. And that's where, when King Cyrus, he enacted a decree and Israel returned back to, the, uh, to Judah to Palestine of today and start rebuilding the city and the temple in Jerusalem. However, the building project was soon abandoned for various reasons. We, have, we don't have time to dive into that. But after 20 years of neglect, when they just started the foundation of rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, God got angry. And he sent... Uh, the prophet Haggai around 520 BC to urge the Jewish population that came from Babylon to Judah to restart the, the rebuilding, to restart the work, the work of rebuilding the temple. Haggai also tells them, because of your disobedience, you are experiencing God's discipline, God's punishing you because you abandoned the work that you were charged by the Lord to complete. And that's why Haggai, through the Spirit of the Lord, called them into action and warned them that their inaction, their disobedience will lead to more divine discipline. Haggai's prophecy, back to the text that we've read, starts with, uh, with a saying that God is quoting as people were saying, was circulating among the people of Israel. These people, then it's very unusual to, for the Lord to use these people. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. It, using this, this expression, these people, is actually displaying Yahweh's or God's displeasure, disappointment with his elect people. And with this provocative question that God launches through the mouth of his prophet Haggai, is it a time for you yourself to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins verse 5 says consider your ways now stop and think in other translation says give careful thought to your ways analyze what you're doing analyze your ways analyze all of your decisions stop and think before you're moving forward with harvest actually approaching because it was a six month of of the year, Haggai actually reminds the Israelites that 
actually your past crops were disappointing. But he connects that the, the low harvest, the, the crops that were so diminished with the discipline of the Lord. It was I, says the Lord, that I punished you. It is I that I sent and I, uh, against your crops. I sent all the, the things. I didn't give the dew. I didn't allow the, the water, the rains to come upon your crops. And I punished you through this. Verse 6 says, you've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. It's almost like the prophet Haggai kind of heard 25 centuries later, in 21st century today, Christians, children of God, who are in a similar situation. We hear people that uh, you know, they work hard, but they all only live from paycheck to paycheck. They barely make it. They deposit their paycheck in a bank and by the end of the month there's nothing left and they are looking to the next paycheck. And some believers might rationalize today, say, well, I would like to give to the Lord. I would like to give more to the Lord, but maybe I need to find a better paying job. Maybe if I would get a, a better degree, or maybe if I open my own business, or sorts of uh, rationalization. But this is what God might answer today in the 21st century. Time out. Stop and think. And look at your life and your priorities. Consider your ways. Why aren't you moving forward when it comes to your financial situation? And Haggai, like the Apostle Paul in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-7, through seven, reminds us today about the divine law of sowing and reaping. And this is what the Spirit of the Lord impressed on Paul, the Apostle. Whoever sows... Uh, sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver Dumnezeu iubește datatorul voios and Haggai seems to awaken the people of God to see the link between their behavior and their not so stellar circumstances. But the second problem, because twice in this passage, in this passage that we just read, the Lord says, consider your way. Stop and consider your way. And the second problem that Haggai points uh, through, the pro through the Spirit was that the people were seeking their personal comfort over God's pleasure and glory. Haggai chapter 1 verses 7 through 8 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways and go up to the hills, bring the wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. If the first displeasure of God was pertaining that his people were lacking in financial generosity, 
The second displeasure expressed by God here in this passage, prophetic passage, towards his people pertain to their lack of work, lack of effort towards accomplishing God's purposes. That's why the word of God comes, it becomes more dynamic, forceful, and direct when the prophet calls God's people, say, go up, go up into the mountains, bring wood, and build a house. Now, some Christians wrongly believe that if, if they're doing okay with uh, their generosity, giving to the offering uh, to the Lord and to his house, perhaps nothing else has been expected of them. It's just, you know, well, I gave my zechiala, I gave my tithing, I send my check now either uh, via Zelle or whatever, the direct deposit, and God doesn't expect me anything because I already pay my dues. But this is not what the Bible speaks. It's not only about our financial generosity. It is also every single dimension of our life. How can we apply a text like this that uh, records the rebuilding of the second temple in Jerusalem to the church of today. Well, let's, let's uh, bring those principles into today's spiritual life of us, the church. Uh, the temple was the symbol of God's manifested presence among his elect people. That's why when God instructed Moses to build first the tabernacle, in the wilderness, in Exodus 25, God clarified his purpose. Exodus 25, 8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Because God wanted from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we see this like a red thread, saying that God wanted to live in the midst of his people. And that's why God instructed Moses to build that tabernacle. In Exodus 40. The last uh, scene is showing Yahweh, God, descending and filling the tabernacle with his glory. Glory to God. Later on, when, when David instructs his son Solomon to build the temple, we see the same thing, that the temple was to be the special place of God's manifested presence. And we see in 1 Kings chapter 8 that God's glory filled the holy place. Play, holy place with his presence the smoke the fire the presence was there the shaking of the lord was there because god filled that place with his presence glory to god but how that connects with new testament the new testament theology of the temple is very clear it's just jumping off the pages of the scripture because we are told that when Jesus descended, the incarnated Son of God, he brought with him the presence of the Holy God. Wherever God, wherever Jesus walked on this earth, there was the kingdom of God because he was the king of the kingdom of God. He inaugurated the kingdom of God and the presence of God was fully manifested in Jesus. God was in his Son. Even on the cross. And we see that also apostles Peter and Paul declared that the Lord, that declared that the church is the body of Christ. It is the, 
the church and it's not this building it's not the walls it is us the people we represent the body of Christ Christ is the head of the church and God wants to be manifested in his people in the church that's why as brother Simi said we are so important to come together to pray together to worship together that togetherness represents the body of Christ and when we are together God comes in the midst of praises God descends in our midst because he loves to be in the middle of his people in the midst of his people so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3:16 don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? It's almost like God's saying through Paul, which part of you are the temple you don't understand? Which part we don't understand that we belong together? In a previous message, like three weeks ago, I said, yes, salvation is personal, but our sanctification is communal we belong to one another. The Holy Spirit descends in our midst and he wants to sanctify you and I through me and you. It is through the relationships that the people of God is being sanctified. And God took it very seriously when he said, build my church. Jesus said, I will build my church. But you know what? He is the manager and we are his crews. He wants to use you and me for the building of the church. We are co-workers with God. Can I hear an amen? Are we or we are not co-workers with God? God said through Haggai to the Israelites, you better get busy rebuilding my temple because more discipline will come. Invest your money, invest your efforts, your talents, your time in fulfilling my priority first. This is what God was upset with his people because everybody went and took care of their own dealings, their own priorities, their own homes. I said, reverse. You have to put me and my purposes, says the Lord, at the top of the list of your priorities. Not your priorities, mine says the Lord and yes the building of God's temple costs us costs our finances our efforts our talents our time our everything if we understand who we are the way God looks at us and expects from us we would understand that a lot of our priorities are messed up a lot of our priorities are upside down. And we worry about my, myself and our priorities instead of God's priority first. Jesus says, Matthew 6, Seek what? Seek first. Say with me, church. Seek first. Kautats maintii împărăția. And it's not only about 
financial discipline. It's also about discipline in every dimension of our lives. Our time, our efforts, our talents, our passions. How can you assess the level of your personal passion? I'll tell you, and I said it before. If I look at how I'm spending my time, the way I'm spending my money, the, the way I'm spending my, my uh, everything, including talents, that's how I will assess the level of my passion to the Lord. If my time, if my priorities, if my passions are directed towards God and His kingdom, then I would say, you could say, that we have a good level, healthy level of passion for Christ. Our life and our work of the kingdom, for the kingdom, must be radically theocentric or Christ-centered church. We need to center everything that we do, everything that we are, everything that we have in Christ and His purposes first. And this is what Haggai brought as a message of displeasure from God to his people. And this is what the Spirit speaks to you, Bethesda Church, this morning. We need to reassess our priorities. In a church, in a family, or an individual that is God-centered, everything that we do and plan must have this cornerstone to God's glory. This is the cornerstone of everything we do and everything we are and everything we enterprise and everything we decide. All of our aspirations, all of our plans, it is to the glory of God. That should be our test. Is it to the glory of God? What I do, what I decide, how I spend my money. A.W. Tozer wrote in this in his great book titled Worship, the following. The purpose of God in sending his son to die and rise and live and be at the right hand of God the Father was that he might restore to us the missing jewel, the jewel of worship, that we might come back and learn to do again that which we were created to do in the first place. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness to spend our time in awesome wonder and adoration of God feeling and expressing it and letting it get into our labors and in everything we do and everything we enterprise and doing nothing except as an act of worship to Almighty God through His Son Jesus Christ. I spent a morning last week with a young man and he asked me, Brother Romy, how do you explain you know, what Jesus said to, in, in John uh, 4 to the Samaritan woman, that time will come and it's right now. The true worshipers will worship God in, how? In spirit and in truth. And I explained to this young man, I said, to live a life of worship means that worship is not only when we come on a stage or in a choir and a band and sing to the Lord, our worship means when we worship with every dimension of our life. We worship when we are at work and we work to His glory. We represent the kingdom. When you are at school, you represent the king. When you are playing soccer, you represent the king. Don't lose your temper and say some words. 
You know what I mean? You represent the king in everything we do. We as a church must return to being God-centered, to be Christocentric, to look at him as the Lord. We have a totally incomplete understanding of what the Lord means. Lord means that he is the owner of my life. The Lord means that he owns my bank account. Jesus being the Lord means that he owns my tablet and computer and iPhone. That means that he controls or should control every, every single of my decisions. Can I hear an amen? That's what Lord means. If I only say Lord from the lips, means nothing will actually come as a boomerang against me to judge me. Why did you call me Lord, Lord, when you're not doing what I'm expecting you to do? This is the message of Haggai. Speaking about our Lord Jesus, Colossians 1, 16, 17 declares, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Amen. Church, Bethesda Church, beloved Bethesda Church, I'm reminded now about a different reaction. When Jeremiah went to the, to the remnant in chapter 42 and 43 in Jeremiah, went to them and said, do not do what you plan to do to go back in, in Egypt. Stay here and I, I, the Lord, will bless you. Said not. It's not true. Not the Lord spoke through you. And they went into Egypt against God's will. But here we see that the people the leaders of, of, of Israel of those times, Zerubbabel and Joshua, they obeyed because they feared the Lord and the Lord declared, I am with you. May the Lord bless Bethesda Church to obey him out of reverent fear and adoration because he deserves it all. Amen.